0: Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we are continuing to walk through the book of Genesis. And today, if you want to go ahead and turn there or turn uh, on your, your device, uh, you need to do that to Genesis chapter 45. I get asked this a good bit, uh, so I'll tell you on the front end, I don't bring it up every study, but I use the English Standard Version. That is the version of uh, of the Bible that I usually teach from. Uh, and so that's just an FYI. I mean, you don't have to have an English standard version, but I want you to know people ask me a lot of time, which version are you teaching from? And that, that is it. All right. So as we're getting ready to jump into that couple of things, uh, here are man churches that are going on this week from themanchurch.com. Uh, that is a men's discipleship strategy. It's a hub that we launched on March 1 of 2022. So we're still relatively new, and and we're getting close to 600 churches uh, that are doing uh, our strategy um, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, When I say that, that means they're at least doing our curriculum that may or may not be doing these services that I'm about to tell you about, or they're doing them on their own, and they're not asking us to provide the teachers. Uh, But anyway, if you would like to find out about the strategy, it's real simple. Just go to themanchurch.com. Uh, it could not be easier for you to walk through it, and look at the strategy. If you have any questions, obviously there's a, a prompt there for you to contact us if you want to. But man, churches—when I speak of those, these are services. Uh, our strategy consists of high challenge, that would be in the services, uh, and then high equipping, which would be in the small group. And the we have three curriculum. They're they're forty weeks in length. We have a fourth coming out uh, in 2023, and then we also have individual resources uh, that are for individual men or men who would just like to go through a Bible study in their home uh, with their with their sons. Um, you, we have those as well, and we've got a new one in that category coming out in a couple of weeks that we are really excited about. And we also have the Man Church Conference coming up. Uh, next year, the first one we've ever done. So we we do services, uh, we do curriculum, we do resources, and we do conferences. So we have uh, the Man Church Conference coming up uh, in February, uh, the 24th and the 25th. Tickets are moving. Quickly, We're over half sold out to that now. The room um, is is a theater set up, which is going to be nice and comfortable, and it's reserved seats, which is also great. All the seats are good, but, but obviously you want the best seats, so make the move to do that now. Also, if you're watching this and you're a woman, I know women do watch this Wednesday Bible study, especially if we're doing expository teaching, which is what we're doing right now with the book of Genesis. Great gift idea for the men on your Christmas list, but go ahead and grab those because when we, when we come back, in 2023, uh, the prices on the tickets will go up. Right now, they're early bird specials, so uh, to encourage people to go ahead and get them so we can get an idea of how many people are coming, uh, you can do that now by just going to themanchurch.com. Now, here's some of the services. These services are just part of the strategy where we have men teaching in the room and services for men. These are called man churches. Uh, This week, November the, um, uh, the 17th, Northside Baptist Church. They're in the second curriculum, so this is year two for them. This is their next um, man church, and Andrew Varvudis will be speaking there. Uh, on the 19th, coming up this Saturday in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, Sand Spring Baptist Church, Scott Dawson will be kicking off the strategy there. So that's what's uh, going on this week and of course we told you about the conference. Uh, I'm going to open in a word of prayer. I do want to tell the guys in the room too, uh, that I will be leaving for a funeral, uh, immediately after, uh, the Bible study. And I'm kind of pressed on time, uh, to go pick up my wife and be there. So if you guys would just kind of, um, be gracious and understand that I'm, I'm not running out on you, but I'm going to have to leave immediately, uh, when this is over. And, uh, and we might even wind down a little bit, uh, earlier than we normally do to allow time for me to be there. And, uh, and I'll be including that in our prayer. As a friend of mine, his his dad has just passed away, and a friend of many of you in the room, uh, and also one of our speakers that goes out for themanchurch.com, dot Scott Garoski. Uh, his father passed away, and Scott will be doing his father's memorial service today, uh, and we are going to be there for that. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you uh, for the fact that um, you have overcome our biggest problem, and that is uh, our sin. Uh, and, and that sin leading to death, uh, but, but as you have said clearly uh, in, in Scripture, uh, that because of you going to the cross in our place, not only did you pay the debt that we owed and could not pay for our sin, you also defeated death by walking out of the tomb on the third day and offering to us, though our bodies fade away, uh, that our spirit— And it it has the opportunity to live in eternity in your presence, in perfection, as opposed to eternal death. And today, as we go to that memorial service, thankfully, we get to celebrate that. Uh, And I pray that you be with Scott Gorosky, who will be bringing that message today. As difficult as that will be for a son to do his father's memorial service, we pray for control of emotions. We pray for clarity of thought. And we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I know that any time a funeral presents itself, the opportunity for someone or many to, to repent of their sins and consider their eternity, that opportunity always affords itself. And I pray that we see victories like that today. Thank you for the message that, that is laid out before us today. May we hear everything you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's turn to, to Genesis 45. The The last thing that happened last week, and I would encourage any of you that missed last week, based on the feedback uh, that I got from the men in the room and for uh, a lot of you around the country, um, I, I assume that everybody that is a regular with this Bible study, uh, that, uh, that you would be the kind of people that would not miss any, even if you missed them live or you know you miss one during the week. Don't miss last week. Uh, I, I make sure you, you you don't fail to get back and get that one. Uh, we, they're all great and they and they're all worthy because it's the Word of God. but I will say that uh, that we have these special ones that come along uh, and last week was one of those. and you kind of need to know it to understand what's about to happen next. So um, here we go. So in in chapter 45, we, we now know that Joseph has been withholding his identity from his brothers. We know that it's extremely clear that he's testing them um, to see if they have, are repentant. Are they different now? He's used Benjamin, which is his only full-blood brother, uh, and uh, to to see if they will turn on Benjamin the way that they turned on him, uh, and we saw this incredible moment with with his brother Judah, uh, who who says that he will take the place of his younger brother, and it and it is this repentance on Judah's part uh, combined with what he when he heard Reuben saying that we shouldn't have done this. This is finally so much that Joseph can no longer contain himself. He can no longer hide who he is. Uh, and we see this in in chapter 45, verses 1 through 2. Then Joseph could not control himself. So that's not my opinion. We know that Scripture says he, he couldn't take it anymore. Uh, he, he could not continue to hide his identity. Uh, Joseph could not control himself. Why? Because of what he just heard from Judah. Okay, and, and, and it says that, that before all who stood by him, he cried, make everyone go out from me so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So we do know in 1 and 2 that Judah's appeal uh, that, that, uh, that emphasized Jacob's attachment to Benjamin, Judah, is, is, he cares about what this would do to his father. He cares about how this would ki- uh, break his father down and kill him. This finally breaks Joseph down. His composure breaks down. He's, he's told everybody to leave the room, and now he's going to reveal himself to his brothers. Now, e- even though we're going to see it, it's, it's private, uh, the Egyptians are going to hear the weeping because it's so loud. The attendants he sent out hear it, and you're also going to see that even Pharaoh and his house Uh, heard it as well, Uh, so and this is also the third time in this process of testing his brothers that Joseph has been moved to tears, Uh, but this time he has a complete breakdown, and and, and 2 tells us this too, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it, which means, by the way, because he had risen to such power that Pharaoh was constantly having to converse with him. This shows you how close Joseph's house was in, in proximity uh, to Pharaoh because Pharaoh's house hears him weeping as well, not just the attendants who were outside the door. So, uh, And Joseph said to his brothers, and here it comes, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were at his, uh, dismayed at his presence. Can you imagine this moment? I mean, it's now family time. Everybody out. Don't leave anybody here but my brothers. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Now, I know we could all answer this question. It seems quite obvious that that they don't answer him for what reason? Uh Uh-oh. Oh, man this is this is Joseph's time to get us they've forgotten all the te- they're not thinking the way we're thinking because we've we've been through this whole narrative and we know what Joseph was doing all they can think of is we threw Joseph in a hole then we sold him off into slavery and he's been waiting on this moment and he just revealed himself to us and we've all had it that's what they're thinking they're terrified now now remember we also talk about that Joseph is a type of Christ, and we have these throughout the Old Testament. And and it's always a foreshadowing uh, to to what Jesus will do. And and, and this is one of the first challenges in this uh, historical moment, is here's what we have to think to ourselves. Here are these brothers. They know that they've wronged Joseph. They know that. And they've shown some repentance, praise God for that. But this is the same, what we're seeing a foreshadowing of here, there is going to come a day for all of us that we will stand before Jesus. And will we, we be dismayed? Will we be terrified? Or will we be running toward him ready to celebrate his return, ready to celebrate that we finally have come into his presence? Or will we be, or will we be terrified and say, uh-oh, I thought I had more time. Yeah, I, I was eventually going to get around to getting right with Jesus, and I, I thought I could figure out maybe do it right here at the last minute, but do everything I wanted to do in the world, and then right at the last minute, see if I could get my act together before I met him, and then all of a sudden, uh-oh, I'm in front of him right now. What, what, if that happened to you and me right now, what would be our reaction? This is wonderful. I couldn't wait. I love when Scott Garoski. those of you that don't know him that I mentioned, his daddy uh, had a car wreck when he was in his 30s, and he was paralyzed from the chest down for 43 years. Forty-three years of nothing being easy. Forty-three years. And when Scott uh, text, um all of us to tell us that his dad had his body had finally died. He said, "I imagine that my daddy ran into heaven, back on his feet, in his glorified body." So, so when you're thinking about that, it, is it going to be that kind of day, or will it be a day of dread? And if it's if it's a day of dread, I would just not, I wouldn't leave here today. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't move on with my life if I'm watching this. And listen to this, saying I have more time. Because I will tell you this: life is fragile, life is short. I, I don't know about all of you, and we're all different ages in here. But but we've, we've only got a handful of really what I would call young guys. Love y'all. We got youngers, but we only got a couple of young ones. Okay, the rest of us in here are pretty old. Okay, so what? But but I think everybody. I say this when people are talking about their kids. I say, you know, having having five kids, and, and one of them did not get to this point, but the other four are still with me, and, and they're all adults now, and I think most people would say this, and it really happens in your own life, is it seems like forever for your kids to go from born to 12. But from 12 to adult is like overnight. You can't believe how fast that went away. And I'm telling you right now, my mama was talking to me about me helping her get her Christmas decorations out. I thought I put them up two weeks ago. I can't believe we're back at this again. I mean, as I get older, time is nothing. It's nothing. And so, so, so. I mean, I'm, I I don't have much time left. You don't have much time left. And even you young people, you don't know how much time you got left. I know a lot of young people that die too. And uh, our Jesus is going to come back. I mean, one of these two things is going to happen to, to, to us. And I've said this in here a lot. I'm going to say it again. I've said it a lot. I acknowledge it. Y'all don't think I'm so old that now I don't remember what I said. That happens some, but it didn't happen on this one. I know that I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. You may not be able to be talked out of of believing in God. You really almost have to be completely alone to think that there is no God. Okay, that's a big stretch. He's revealed Himself so incredibly. So you probably a lot of you won't be talked out of that. A lot of you won't even be talked out of the fact that you need to do something with your life to get yourself right with God. Most of you know you need to. But where the adversary has much success, sadly, I'm an example of this, but thankfully I woke up, I need to get my life right with God. I know I do. I know he exists. I know what Jesus did, and I need to give up my sin. I know I do. Because I know Jesus, my my redemption is going to cost me my sin. I know that, and I'm not quite sure I'm ready to give it up. I know I need to, and I'm going to, but just not today. And as I have said, and I'm going to say it again, so that I stand blameless before God when it comes to you, you can just not today yourself right into hell. They weren't ready to meet Joseph. They didn't know they were going to meet Joseph that day, but now they have. And so they are dismayed, and they got nothing to say. You know what they're saying? Let's hear what you have to say next, because what you say next is really – that's going to determine where we go from here. So verses 4 through 8. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. That please is important because he knows they're scared. It's going to be all right. And as they came near, he said – I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. They probably didn't need that reminder. <laughs> I mean, but but Joseph wants to be sure that we all remember that, okay? Remember, remember Joseph, may, Joseph may be a type of Christ, but he's not Christ, okay? All right, so it, and, and, he, and he says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which uh, there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant, I'd underline that, on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler of over all the land of Egypt. Big moment here. You really see uh, Joseph working out what what he could be upset about. He's also been through a process of figuring out how this has happened to him. Why why have I been through all this? Well, he knows now. Now, here's the question before, and we're going to walk through all this, but here's the question. This is the big question of all this. I hope we all understand, starting with me, I hope we all understand. And some people get upset with me when I say this, and I'm sorry you have to be upset with God. I did. I didn't come up with this. You got to understand. Even though there's things that we bring on ourselves because of our decisions, no question. But there are a lot of things in our lives that are difficult. Okay, they're difficult. And Joseph is realizing. I know that if we look at the literal sense of this, y'all sold me into slavery. I, y'all did it physically, but God allowed it. You know why? You think God couldn't save Joseph? You, you think God couldn't take the car that hit Mike Gauravsky and paralyzed him for 43 years and just say, I'm going to let that miss today? See, see, you got to understand that. If you don't believe God allows difficulty in our lives, then you have to be living in some world where God can't stop it. And I don't live there. Now let that sink in a minute. So the question isn't, where did God allow it to happen? What we're supposed to be seeking is, why did he allow it to happen, and what is he trying to teach me? Now in this case, Joseph says, well, I can see some of this, I wouldn't be here to save y'all's life if I had not been sold into slavery. I wouldn't be in this position. I would not be able to preserve y'all's life. I wouldn't be able to save God's people. I wouldn't be able to secure this remnant that God has been promising through Abraham, through Isaac, Jacob, and now here I am as as offspring of Jacob. God said he's going to work through this remnant, and he put me in a place to preserve it. How did God do it? Through being a slave, through being put in jail when he wasn't even guilty. For thinking he was coming out of jail and for God leaving there for three additional years. Do you trust God to the point that you can say that no matter your circumstances that God is right? Because that's a a saving faith, that he's right. I will tell you as I said using this a lot in the Bible study today because I'm going to it here in a minute. I know that Mike Gerasky has said to many people if he had not been paralyzed, he probably wouldn't have been saved. Because the man he was, it was the paralysis and all he went through that made him totally dependent on God and he probably would be going would have gone to hell if he'd never been paralyzed. Sometimes God sometimes God loves us enough to humble us. And he'll do whatever he's got to do to get us there, and we always see it like that. He's being that he's being rough on us, when sometimes he might be saving us. Most of the time, he's saving us. He's doing something in our life that could not be done any other way. And I'm going to ask you: Do you believe that? Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you may not see it till you stand before him. I've seen it. I've, I've I know, I know of many situations. In my, I, know, I know in my own life that, 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 that through the difficulties I've been through that I have been elevated to an understanding, just like we see in Job, an understanding and a, and a love for Scripture and a love for the God I serve that I don't think would have happened otherwise. Because my problem wasn't that I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't weak enough. I was still too dependent on self. So God puts us in situations where he goes, try to do this on your own. And we look at him and say, I can't do this. He goes, well, finally. Now I can use you in a way I never could before. So Joseph says, I'm looking at this situation, and I see myself here, and, and I love when he invites him to come near. He, he He's saying, look at me closely. I don't know how many of you had. My dad is a master of this. When my dad really wanted me to know something, he'd say, come here. And he'd bring me in. He'd make sure I wasn't looking around. I don't know if y'all know this. I can be a little bit distracted. And he was always, you you come in here and listen to me. And, and and if he was real serious, he'd take his finger and he'd put it on my chest and he'd tap it every time he was saying something So to be sure he had my attention. And by the way, he did. So here's Joseph saying, look at me closely. He identifies himself again. I'm Joseph. And you know what else he says? I'm no threat to you. Don't you know that felt good? Think about that. When we walk up in the presence of a holy God, I, I love the analogy that Rich Wingo said that it was it was a guy talking. He couldn't remember his name. It was a guy talking at, at, at the Green Bay Packers Chapel when he was playing for the Packers, and he said, I was completely lost, and a guy kept inviting me to go to chapel. I wouldn't go. I finally gave in. He said, we were in New York. We were playing the Jets. And he said, I remember the guy, he played for one of the New York teams. It might have been for the Yankees or some of the Mets. I can't remember. And he said he got up there and he was telling, uh, he was preaching the gospel. And he said, and this was the turning point. He said, it didn't happen immediately, but that stayed with me over a few days. And then and then I repented of my sin and I was justified in the, the, the Green Bay Packers locker room before a game. But he said, this was the point that God stuck with me. He said, the guy's given this analogy of standing in heaven, and he says, and I I he said, I see myself standing in heaven, and he said, and I see me standing before God, and I'm trembling in fear, and I stand up, and God says, Why should I accept you? And he says, and suddenly Satan comes out and begins to accuse me, telling God all the horrible things I've done. And then there's this gigantic Trailer type thing, which you would store stuff in, and Satan takes out a piece of that that paper used to roll off. Remember, off off a printer uh, like an AP wire. So he said he pulls it out and he starts reading all the sins I've done. And he said he's just pulling it, and I realize that giant storage unit is full of my sin, and it's giant. And he's just reading one after another. He goes, and I begin to cry because I realize Satan's right. I should be rejected. And he said, just about the time I'm about to lose all hope and just walk away from God the Father, Jesus stands up, takes, takes the paper, pushes Satan aside, looks at God the Father and says, he's with me. He's good. And he said, and I'm accepted. As long as Jesus stands up and says, whatever they've done, they've repented of it and I paid for it. Whatever you need to do to them, you've done to me. And this is one of mine. He's with me. And he said, the elation and the peace that comes over you when you realize that. Well, that's what's happening here. They're hearing from Joseph, I'm no threat to you. I'm I'm not coming for vengeance. Even though you deserve it, that's not why I'm here. I've been testing you. He sees that they're repentant, and I don't miss that part. Um, you know, like I said, God does love everyone, but He only approves of those who've been justified. Um, and so, when you when you look at this moment, He reminds them He was sold into Egypt. And and that, the reason why he's saying that I was making a joke about that. The reason why he's saying that really is because it's evidence that he he is who he says he is. How would a stranger know they did that? Somebody pretended to be Joseph, you know. Like, how would they know that they sold him into Egypt? Well, Joseph's the only one who knows. It was just them and the brothers. No one else knows this unless it was somebody who bought him. And then he he takes the guilt off of them and says. You didn't even do this. You may think you did this, but God allowed this, and then he lays out God's plan. And you know what he's saying? Look at how this has been laid out. What has really taken place has been God's action, not yours. God did this to me. And he did it to provide for you. Wow. So uh so so now let's look at uh at verses um um, it, working through this. So here's what he said in verse 5. He said, God sent me ahead in order to pre- preserve life because of the famine. He says in 7, God sent me ahead in order to establish a remnant to keep them alive. And I told you what that is. That's the promise of God uh, that he would keep this remnant. So, And then in verse 8, he says, um, um, the, the, you guys didn't send me to Egypt. God did. Uh, and he made Joseph— uh, a father to pharaoh now what does that mean that's just a term that that is used meaning that that joseph had had been placed by god in a position that was so powerful and this is a term that, that they would use a father to pharaoh means he was trusted by pharaoh he I mean pharaoh would share anything with him he would trust him with any responsibility and he goes look at how god has elevated one of your brothers to this position to take care of you it's amazing and Joseph understands it um so w- when when you see this too on verse 5 let me add a little something there before we move on to these other verses when you look at verse 5 that preserve life it's there in English the original Hebrew word that we're translating here into English a uh, preserve life you're going to love this it is the exact same Hebrew word that was used to describe the role of the ark it's here to preserve life. Same Hebrew word. And what is the ark? It's a type of Christ. So just as the ark was, God said, is here to preserve life. You get in the ark, you live. You're outside the ark, you get God's wrath. This same phrase is being used about Joseph being in this position. And um, and then, of course, I told you about the remnant. That was. It was indirectly to preserve the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his sons and his grandchildren. It must be preserved, so God's using Joseph to do that. And um, and, and then Joseph um, would rise to power, and he would have a huge amount of authority, and he's able to make the call. And all this has been done by God to now be a blessing to the very people that they thought had put Joseph in slavery. And they certainly did it, but God allowed it. And he said, at the end of it all, this was part of God's plan. And look what he's done with, with it. So I'm no threat to you. I get it. I understand. I'm not going to hold this against you. Verses 9 through 11, you see the type of Christ there. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of, uh, of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. Uh, You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. This is all good news. This is the first time that Joseph calls Jacob his father. Is my father still alive? He wants to see Jacob before he dies, and he's saying, so let's act quickly. Dad's got to be getting really old. Let's act quickly. Don't tarry on this. And then he runs a list of resources um, that, that uh, and, and a list of reasons that Jacob, tell Dad, I've got all this handled. You're going to see in mean, a minute he's going to send some wagons to prove who he is. I've got all this handled. I want you to say there's no reason that Dad should turn you all down on coming back. Tell him, I got everything. There's more famine. You'll be provided for I'm going to set you all up in Goshen, bring everybody, bring your herds, all that. we got room for that. That's why he's using Goshen, by the way. They need room for all the herds. Um, But you're going to see that sometimes, even if you're the person who understands what God's doing, we tend to limit God, don't we? God's about to get Pharaoh involved. Now Pharaoh's going to start getting fired up by Joseph's brothers and his daddy and all that, and he's going to go even a step further and give them more than Joseph just said. So listen to this. So 12 and 13. Uh, what happens next? And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother, Benjamin, see that this, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father, uh, all the honor, uh, that, uh, in Egypt and all that you have seen hurry and bring my father down here. So 12 and 13, he's saying, you know, that, that, that I have the power to make sure all things happen. I need you to act quickly. And he says, if you notice, uh, Benjamin and I are crying, and I think Benjamin now realizes it's me. I hope y'all realize it's me, and y'all should be able to convince Dad that I'm alive and this is not something uh, that is untrue. Uh, So look at 14 and 15. You'll see something that won't surprise you here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. After that, the brothers talked uh, with him. Um, so we see it's not surprising he goes to Benjamin first. Uh, you know, He never saw Benjamin grow up. He, when he left, Benjamin was a toddler. Um, and and this is the, the, these are the two that we only have document, documenting as weeping. We see that Joseph is weeping. We see that Benjamin is weeping. We don't really see that the, uh, the brothers are weeping. They may be. It's not covered. He kisses the brothers, not, not just Benjamin. Uh, and this was very common uh, among close family members and close friends. Uh, and what this is this is important. What this is showing is that now, once he kisses them, in in, in this culture, this is the official, no disputing, we're good. The rift is now healed. If there was still something unresolved, he wouldn't do that. Okay. So when he goes and embraces Benjamin, and you know they're probably watching that because he's thinking, well, Benjamin didn't have anything to do with this, so he's good with Benjamin. Is he good with us? And then he goes over and, and weeps over them and kisses them. And at that moment, the brothers know they've been forgiven. What a great moment. Isn't that a great moment to know you've been forgiven if you've been justified? Isn't hmm. and, and, and that just a wonderful thought? I, I was thinking about John sixteen thirty three, thinking about this service I'm about to go to where we celebrate redemption, we celebrate ultimate healing, after so many years of difficulty. And I just keep hearing that John 16, 33, just roaring. I say this so that you have peace. Here's this difficulty. Be at peace. I understand this tribulation. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Guys, underline will. None of y'all are going to escape tribulation. Most of you probably live long enough you know that. You're either in it, you're coming out of it, are, are 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 you been? Are you about to go into it? Okay, so it's part of the fallen creation, and Jesus says, "So I acknowledge that." He said, "But because of me, here's this moment. Yeah, yeah, y'all did these bad things. You did them, but because of me, you need to have joy in your heart. You need to be at peace because I've overcome whatever you've done. I've overcome the world." Hey, Rick, you don't understand. I'm sick. I understand, but you ain't always gonna be sick. When did Jesus overcome it in my life? When your life ended. You're now perfect. I, re- I remember praying over my uncle who, who died of cancer and my, my aunt who was praying and everybody was praying and, and somebody who did not understand the depth of this made the mistake of telling her her husband never got healed. Which, by the way, there, there's a great comforting, comforting person. And my aunt looked right at it and says, no, my husband has been ultimately healed. Cancer's over for him. Now, poor us, we're still here, and, and we can still get sick, and we can still have it. Let me tell you who's not going to get sick anymore. He's not. He's done. He, th- he's been ultimately healed. He's done with all this. And now he's in, he, he is in his glorified body, uh, which no more sickness, no more death, no more mourning. And that's why Jesus said, remember that. Ultimately, I've overcome whatever it is. And it might be that you don't see it overcome until you die or I come back. But it's going to be overcome, I promise you, for all of you. Now, the unredeemed, that's a different thing. They don't have that promise. And and I hope that you will live in that peace that only Jesus can provide for you. And maybe today's that day. So anyway, so now we see that uh, after he has done this, now Pharaoh's going to get involved. Uh, when, When the report was heard, verse 16, in Pharaoh's house, this is interesting, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Now Pharaoh's in. He's fired up about it. They're going, hey, by the way, Joseph's brothers are here. These are his brothers, these guys we've had. And and, and Pharaoh doesn't go, well, what's this all about? He starts getting excited. And now the only person that's got more power than Joseph is who? Pharaoh. If you think Joseph, Goshen's going to look like nothing now. Pharaoh's like, Goshen? I I can beat that. Watch, Watch what he does now. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household's and come to me, and I will give you the best land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Goshen? <laughs> Pharaoh can beat Goshen. I'm going to put you in the best the best land we got, which, by the way, that's not Goshen. Goshen was good, but this is even better. Pharaoh says, oh, we can upgrade you from Goshen. Oh, we, we can beat that. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say this, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives and bring your father and come. Joseph was just saying, look, go get dad. Let me give you some stuff for the trip. Come on back and I'll let y'all live in Goshen. Pharaoh's like, You're not gonna give them wagons? You don't make, don't make that ride back rough. Let's get some wagons in here. Let's let's get and, and by the way, you're gonna see some a minute. Tell them don't pack anything. I'm gonna replace everything they got. Now bring the bring the livestock because they're of great value. Don't even pack clothes. You're gonna have new clothes. You don't need the little accessories in a house and all that stuff. I'm going to provide something better than what you have. Bring your livestock, bring yourself, and the clothes you got on. I got everything else covered, and we're going to move you to the best land in Egypt. Think about that. What you think God has for you, it's more. What you think heaven is going to be like, it's more. I mean, they even try to press Jesus on this. They try to press him, the disciples, tell us about heaven. And you know what he said? I, the words I would use, you wouldn't know what they mean. You're too limited to know about heaven. I mean, think about this. I, I As you've seen with my struggle, I love delicious food. It's, it's a blessing. Now, I, I can overindulge or I can correctly indulge, but I love food. And, and it hit me, and I forgot. It might have been Randy Alcorn that said this. I can't remember who it was. I can't remember if it was him, but anyway, because he wrote the book about heaven, uh, things we do know, but it might have been Alcorn. I don't remember who said it. It's not my original thought, but I remember hearing it, and 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 they said, you every dish that you have enjoyed on this earth, as wonderful as it may have been, the food was fallen, the person who prepared it was fallen, and your taste buds are fallen. You're going to have food with perfect taste buds, that has been perfectly prepared and has no flaw. You've never really tasted this. And I thought, man. I mean, there's nothing here. That's why I get so embarrassed, and I used to do it, I don't do it anymore. When humans start trying to to, to take stuff you like here and move it into heaven, we don't need your stuff. Everything in heaven is better than anything that you could possibly think of. W- leave your stuff here. We don't need it, and that's what that's what Pharaoh's saying. Look, Joseph, appreciate it. He he's he's got a lot of power. Goshen's certainly sweet, and, and but but I'm going to go to a whole new place here, and so Pharaoh is getting involved, and he offers even more than Joseph. Best of the land, not just Goshen, uh, and 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 you will enjoy the 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 finest produce in the land. That's what he means by the fat of the land. It's going to be the best food we got. And and he says, um, uh, send some wagons for them. Uh, uh, no need to take uh, your stuff. You get new stuff. Leave your belongings. Just bring the animals. Just bring yourself. Now, twenty one through twenty four, the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. Now you see this coming. Here we go. Um, But for Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father's journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. How about that? Now, look, don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Notice I gave Benjamin five changes of clothes and I gave him more money than y'all. Still testing them. And I don't want to hear about trouble on this trip. You know, I really started researching since in English it says do not quarrel on the way. And um and and, and so I, I I looked at this and, and started reading a lot of the commentaries on it, and and there's no doubt that it it, it does have a connotation that he doesn't want them to argue. Um, but but he also is saying, which is interesting because our English here is a little bit limited, there were many commentaries that say possibly a part that is not being uh, interpreted proper, uh, uh, completely detailed in the English, even though we're getting the, the main point, is he also is telling them, y'all don't get away from me, and then start questioning again whether I'm going to take revenge on you. This is done. Everything I'm saying has been resolved, and I don't want y'all aid to take revenge on Benjamin because he's getting special treatment. That test continues. okay? But I also don't want you guys to get in a disagreement on whether you should come back or not. I don't want anybody saying that if we go back, I'm telling you he's going he's going to take revenge on us. Now, you may say, Rick, I don't know about that, but then hang on, we haven't done the other chapters. I hate to give away something, but there is a moment coming that they're going to once again question whether revenge is coming on them. They haven't quite given this up yet, and that's going to be when Jacob dies. They're going to think, "Oh, now Daddy's dead. Now it. Now now he. Oh, he's got. It. He's going to get us now." So he has a reason to say that they're not quite completely in. This is all great, but there, there's still that 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 thought in the back of their mind. He's still waiting on the time he wants to see Dad. He wanted to see Benjamin. And he said and he's telling them i don't want those kind of discussions to go on so that that I, I do think that stands up uh so uh so now let's look at 25 through 27 25 through 27 so they went out uh, uh, up, uh of egypt and came to the land of canaan to their father jacob and they told him joseph is still alive and he is ruler over the land of egypt imagine this moment and his heart became numb because he didn't believe him i want you to think about that Think about how many years that man has grieved his son's death. I mean, this is the foreshadowing. you think about the resurrection of Jesus. You remember how the disciples felt, even though they'd been told? I mean, he had told them so many times, I'm going to be dead for three days. And, of course, they're like, well, I they just wouldn't listen. And, and, and it took a reminder, you know, when when they first hear from the women that Jesus is alive, they don't believe it. Even though they've been told that this was going to happen, they didn't believe it because they didn't think it was believable. It, they, we couldn't go from this sadness. It's almost like our bodies, No, notice it says it went numb. It, I just don't, I can't, I can't rise up and be that hopeful. You ever been there? You, you, have you ever gotten hopeful and it didn't work out? And you're like, I can't, I don't want to keep being picked up when I fall back down, it's almost like Jacob's like, don't mess with me about this now. Don't be bringing this in here. He didn't believe him because he he had finally accepted that he would never see his son again on this side of heaven. But now he's hearing. Can you imagine this moment? Can you go there? Can you imagine this moment? And and this is what we have to to – I want you to understand something because I don't ever want us to be – where we were numb to our redemption. If you're in this room or you're watching this or you're listening to this and you've been justified, I hope you realize, and I'm never going to forget, certainly okay to say you were saved, but what were you saved from? And here we say justified and we say redeemed. And what we're saying is you were dead in your sins. That's what Scripture says. You were dead, I was dead. And because of God's mercy and God's grace and the sacrifice of his son Jesus, we went from dead to alive. You were raised from the dead. Do you realize that? When we were redeemed, it's like everything that we deserved, we got to hear. You know you're not going to face death. Our bodies may die if we live long enough and Jesus doesn't return in our lifetime, but we're not going to die. Who you are will not die if you've been justified. As we've said a thousand times morning, Just we'll say it today with, uh, with Mike Garoski. Mike Garoski is more alive today than he's ever been. My son is more alive now than he ever was. This is not the end all. We are not as alive as we're going to be. And Jacob is hearing that his son is still alive, and he doesn't believe it. He's afraid to believe it. But then what? Everything that Joseph told him to do, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw these wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, was revived. It's real. Do you remember the first time that you had that realization that God was real? Have you ever seen things happen, and even though you believed it, all of a sudden you realize, wow, God's real. I mean, there he is showing himself to me again. He, he really is alive. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't some story we've come up with it's real and that's what Jacob is experiencing my son really is alive there's no way these things could be here the, the, the why would the why would egypt be treating my sons and treating me this way why would pharaoh be treating hebrews this way it's not possible that this would be happening any other way than the way they're saying it and his spirit was revived and Israel said, it is enough, Joseph, my son is still alive. It is enough. Take me to see him before I die. And you know what he's saying right there? You ever been there? You ever been in a situation where you say, Lord, if if, if could be your child, could be your wife, man, if we can just get through this, you can take me. Just, 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 just the fact that you've allowed me this. Once you give me this, just take me. You ever heard the ter- You ever heard this term? I can die now. You ever heard that before? That's what Jacob was saying. But you know, once again, we're going to find out. You know what God did? We're going to find out that he gets to go see Joseph before he dies. He thinks he'll see Joseph, and that'll be it. God gives him seventeen more years with him, and 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 you see Jacob going. Just let me see him. I know I'm getting toward the end of my life. You know, we've been thinking Jacob's going to die for how long now? I mean, and, and God keeps hanging him. And Jacob has already, he's done his, and that's it, I'm out. A couple times already, and God keeps keeping him alive. And he's keeping him alive for this moment for him to lay eyes on Joseph. Why? So he and Joseph can have this great reunion? I'm sure that's part of it. That's kind. But what he's really doing is saying, don't you forget that I'm real. Look what I've done. And when you see Joseph, that's great, but you understand that the only way you saw Joseph and the only way Joseph is sitting in the position he's in and the only way you're going to survive the famine is because of me. I did this because there's no way anybody else could have done this. You could not do this but I can. Remember that. It's true that your situation may be something you can't resolve, but God can. Could you resolve your redemption? I certainly couldn't, but God can. So remember that. All of this is designed not for us to say, how about that Joseph? How about that Judah? How about that Reuben? How about Pharaoh? All of this is designed for us to say what an incredible God we serve. What an incredible, gracious God we serve. And he and he alone deserves all the worship. And that's who we're in awe of. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And thank you for all that you've taught us today. Lord, I pray as we now leave this place that uh, if those that are, are watching and listening or even in the room, uh, they've been told that there's things that need to be adjusted, but they're, they're falling victim to uh, the adversary's ploy of just not today, I pray, Lord, that you would resolve that. Today is the day. Today is our day. And, Lord, I pray as we step into this uh, memorial service here that you'll be glorified throughout the process. And thank you, Lord, that those of us that have been redeemed when we go to the earthly death of those who also have been redeemed, we don't grieve like the lost because of the hope that only you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us.